0: we know that without your son, there'd be no hope for anybody. But you gave us our, your son, our Lord. And we know now that he died for our sins and was buried and that you raised him from the dead on the third day. And we know from 1 Corinthians 15 that his resurrection is the guarantee of ours and everybody who believes in your son. This morning, Father, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would mentor us. Would guide us and direct us and that everything that we're going to be participating in together, Father, the, the singing, the preaching of the Word of God, the giving, the time with one another. We also ask, Father, that you would keep us safe and healthy. We also pray for our country this morning, Father, that the things that are ripping us apart would be would be taken care of so that we would be one nation under you. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please stand in worship with us. Well, good morning again, everybody. New month. Of course, every month we feature a different missionary organization. And this month we're going to the airplanes. Mission Aviation Fellowship. They go to places that are really hard to reach. They, they save a lot of time by going by plane. And their mission is to share the love of Jesus Christ through planes and technology so that people who are in really isolated places can hear the gospel and have their lives Chains forever and here in time as well. Their flights support indigenous churches, churches that are on the ground. And they also support local evangelists that are already there. They bring health care, they provide relief when there are disasters, and they also bring the people that can make and the resources to make community development projects possible. And again, they do so in some of the most remote places on earth. <clears throat> I want to talk this morning a little bit about the Mills family. They're in Papa, Indonesia. The husband and wife are Kevin and Kim. They are actually responsible for education, um, particularly the education of the children of the missionaries. They have their children with them, Kyler, Caleb, and Kara. I guess they all wanted to have the K of their father's name, so that Caleb's with a K and so forth, but very good. You know, there's an amazing thing about this family. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but a few months ago we let you know Now, perhaps for the first time, we received a donation from missionaries. See, the idea is for the church to support the missionaries. But but these people, Kevin and Kim in particular, um, felt in their heart that they had been blessed financially. I've now found out a little bit more about that. I'll tell you about that after. And because of that, they wanted to go and share their blessings with us, which I think is remarkable. And uh, I thank them for that. As a matter of fact... They had a niece who passed away in the United States, and because of the donations that came in, they were able to fly here and attend the funeral. So I wonder whether that's what they were talking about, because the timing is just about when we receive the gift from them. So they're an amazing family. Please keep them in your prayers. There's so much that um, this organization does. They not only bring resources in country, but they also have a lot of support for the missionaries themselves. And... Uh, And again, there's a lot of opportunities, both to volunteer and to be a part of the organization more formally. Of course, the the opportunities are always there to pray for them in different countries that these missionaries are in, and also financial support. All right, here's their website. It's it's the simplest website we have among all the missionaries, www.maf.org, www.maf.org. All right, once again, uh, as you know, we're uh, dealing with a nasty virus in this country, it's among other things that we're dealing with. And so we do ask that you do keep some precautions here, and I think you're all doing so. Um, social distancing. You now, if you notice, we're restricting seating to every other row, requesting that people stay six feet apart, except for not, you know, family members can stay together, of course. Face um, Face covering. When you're not in the sanctuary, we have hand sanitizer. Please respect others' personal space, not getting too close, touching, handshakes, hugs, um, including me. As you know, I'm recovering from cancer surgery and treatment, and I want to be cautious myself. For the time being, as you probably saw this morning with the yellow tape, we were going to not provide uh, food or coffee, but please feel free, and a lot of you have, to bring your own if you'd like to have coffee during service. I know that there are those who are have fragile health issues or maybe not feeling well. Um, you're always welcome to join us online. Hello, everybody online this morning. Um, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper after service today, at the end of service today. It's part of the service. And again, those of you that are here by means of the internet are obviously welcome to participate with, with the elements that you want to bring. And again... You don't have to have wine in the house. You know, it can be anything to drink, anything to eat. Um, if it's really good food, you know, we can ship it and I'll have some of it later. But just kidding, of course. All right. The title of today's message comes from First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 to 28. That God may be all in all, that God may be all in all. Quite a shift from where we were last Sunday Okay when Paul had a deal with people that were saying that there's no resurrection of the dead, now we're going to see the opposite we're going to see that god's in his word says that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, therefore all who are in Christ will one day rise as well and then he then he continues that, and he paints this panoramic view we 'll see it where he starts with the cross, moves on to the body of Christ, then in, then he goes on and he moves out to all of human history, and then he moves out a little more to see what's going to happen in the future when all of human history on earth is finished and it's back to God, that he may be all in all. Let's read the passage today together. 1 Corinthians 15, 20-28. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man, Adam, came death, by a man also, Jesus Christ, came the resurrection of the dead. Not just him, but all who are in him. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ that is coming. Then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, When he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign, Christ, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished, destroyed, put out of business is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to Christ. And of course, that's God the Father. So that when all things are subjected to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. Well, we've seen um, every week that the subject of chapter 15 is the resurrection of the believers, the resurrection of the dead in Christ. And Paul handles this in several ways. Now, this chapter 15, dealing with the resurrection of the saints, is the climax of this letter. As a matter of fact, everything else in this letter is best seen in relation to the resurrection of the saints in Christ at the rapture. So everything we've already seen, all of the problems and difficulties in sinning and everything else, is uh, solved, if I could put it that way, by understanding That we'll all be resurrected at the rapture. That that's our great hope. That we should have our eyes on the things above. Not on the things of earth. Because that's our citizenship. And one day the Lord will come in the clouds at the sound of the trumpet. And the dead of Christ will rise. And we who are alive will be with them. And we will be with Christ forever. That's our hope. Every day, that's what we should orient to. The things above. Not the things on earth. Right now, the things on earth, I would say, have never looked worse. And so it's easier, in a sense, okay, to keep our mind on the things above when the things on earth look so bad. Nevertheless, human nature is to focus even more on the things on earth when they're bad for some reason. Some reason we want to stir up our own fear, our own anger. I don't know why, as Christians, we want to do that. Instead, it should drive us even more toward the good things, toward the truth, toward the gospel, toward the fact that we will be raised from the dead one day. Now, Paul began, remember, I remember I said he builds and builds his argument in many different ways. We saw, first of all, he focused on the gospel itself. He focused there on the resurrection of Christ. That's the starting point, the resurrection of Christ. That was a singular event, one time. One day, okay? The Corinthian states, as we saw, believe that God raised Jesus from the dead for their sins. And then last week, we saw in verses 12 to 19, that Paul just uses logic to argue that it's irrational not to believe in the resurrection of the dead if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus. So now he expanded things to talk not only about that singular event, but the implications, the impact, the conclusion that one must reach about all of the dead in Christ. That's expanding to the whole church age. Now in verses 20 to 28, which we just read, Paul takes yet another approach to the subject of the resurrection of the dead. This time he's going to take the biggest picture imaginable, but he's going to do it by zooming out the camera one step at a time. He keeps, you're going to see it. He's going to keep widening the lens. We've already seen that. He widened the lens from the, the singular event of the resurrection of Christ to the church. And you can picture that. Christ in his body. Okay? Today, he's going to keep widening it more and more and more until it takes in the entire plan of God of glorifying his son. That is a glorious, breathtaking view. That's what we have here. In fact, this is probably the climax of this chapter which is the climax of the letter. Oh, it goes on, and there we are, glories, but there's nothing more glorious than to see the fact that this is all going to be resolved, that Christ will be, uh, sub- everything will be subjected to him, reconciled to him, and then when that happens, you then turn, and he says, now I'm going to pivot, and I'm going to subject myself. Now remember, he's the God-man, so he's the incarnate God, and as that, he's going to now subject himself to God the Father. So that God will be all in all. That's where it started. That's where it ends. Jesus Christ said, not my will, but thine be done. And we will see how magnificently that will happen in the future. All right. So th- today, we're going to see a passage that actually spans the whole Bible. From Genesis all the way to Revelation. And remember, the interesting thing about this, don't keep your, keep your eyes also on the subject of the chapter. When he does this, when he expands everything from Genesis to Revelation, to actually to when God the Father will have all things subjected to himself, so that he may be all in all, don't forget the subject of the chapter, the resurrection of the dead in Christ. Why? Because we're going to see it in place, in, in terms of the full picture of God's plan And then we'll understand the full significance of the resurrection of the saints. We're going to see that. Look at verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. You could look at that again. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. Strong statement of fact. Total confidence in this. He is the first fruits. We're going to see that that comes from the Old Testament. The book of Leviticus. Christ is the first fruits of those who are asleep. See, if you have first fruits, then you're going to have other fruits. Christ the first, and then those who are asleep. Those are the dead in Christ. So here, the camera zooms out for the first time to show this living, vital relationship between Christ and His saints, who are actually called His body. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. There are several... Striking images that God gives in his word about that organic, vital, tight relationship between Christ and his church. Now here we see this metaphor. It's an agricultural. They were an agricultural economy. They were really familiar with the harvest. They were familiar with how important that was. How they were totally dependent on the Lord to provide the early and the late rains. And then the harvest That's what this metaphor is all about. That's what the first fruits comes from. It comes from the first that comes in the field so that it's a promise that the rest will come in as well. It's a great, great metaphor for Christ's resurrection leading to ours. Now, he talks about first fruits. And while, yes, it means in particular he's the first fruits from the dead... It's pointing back as well to a feast that was celebrated in the Old Testament, described in the book of Leviticus. We don't have time to look into that in detail, but it was a feast of first fruits. It was a spring. There are three feasts that are in the spring. Okay? All of those have been fulfilled in Christ already: the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. Passover fulfilled when Christ died on the cross. Beautiful picture, by the way, of the gospel. Uh, the um, unleavened bread when Christ was in the tomb first fruits Christ is risen from the dead and the interesting thing about it is that they follow each other one, two, three three days Passover the next day is unleavened bread the next day is first fruits let me think when did Christ rise from the dead? on the third day so it's, that's no coincidence it's amazing Okay. so that's the feast we're talking about the way it worked was that there were uh, the earliest part of the harvest, the first that came, they were to take what's called a sheaf of it and then offer it in the temple. What that meant was that the first sheaf of, don't, that word is what they use, just means the first portion of the harvest, consecrated the entire harvest. What does that tell us? It tells us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ consecrates, sets apart. All of us to be risen from the dead ourselves one day, as it were. He's he's the first fruits. He has come up and and, and blossomed already. We're still in the dead are still in the ground, but they're going to one day come right up and be part of that full harvest. The beautiful picture of the resurrection. Again, to repeat: the resurrected Christ is the first fruits. The resurrected saints are the rest of the harvest. The resurrected Christ, first fruits, resurrected saints, the rest of the harvest. Does that make sense? Repeat, 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 repeat. Um, he does a lot of that. You know, it's interesting. In this chapter, he'll repeat things a lot. We saw that last week. If Christ is not raised, then we're not raised, right? He repeats, repeats. Here, I want to repeat. The resurrected Christ is the first fruits. The resurrected saints are the rest of the harvest, Now, Christ's resurrection is the first of its kind. Before Christ, no one had ever been raised from the dead, never to die again. Lazarus was raised from the tomb, but he would die again. For the first time, somebody was raised from the dead to a new life in a resurrection body that will never die. First of its kind. But as Christ is now... In his resurrection body, so all of the saints will be in the future. He's the first of his kind, he's not the last of that kind. We see his resurrected body described in the in the New Testament. We one day will have a body just like his. The rest of the harvest will come in. And if you think about it, if there's a field and it's all it's growing, and then the first of the crop is barley, what do you think the rest of the crop's gonna be? Barley. So, in other words, there's a connection. Whatever the nature is of the first fruit is the nature of the rest of the harvest. Since the nature of Christ, the first fruits, is a resurrection body, guess what? When we come in, it'll be the same. We'll have a resurrection body as well. All right, please turn to Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29. We'll see this put in the terms of humans, of us, of Christ, and the relationship between us. Romans 8, 29, as Christ is now, He's risen from the dead, and it's the perfect tense that just means He's risen in the past with the results that go on forever. He will forever be in a human resurrection body. He will forever be God in the flesh, but now that flesh is that we're a glorified body. As He is, one day we shall be as well. When He, when we, when he comes, we will see Him for who He is finally, because we'll be like him. Okay. Romans 8.29 puts it this way. And I want you to think about what does this say about the significance of the resurrection of the saints? Watch. For those whom he, God the Father, foreknew, he also predestined to become what? Conformed to the image of his son. He, we're predestined to take on the, the life, the body, the image. Of the Son of God in the flesh, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Why? Why? Yes, it's, it's it's glorious to think of ourselves in a resurrection body. It's to understand that we, since we will be raised from the dead, that shows that Christ already has. In and of itself, that's amazing stuff. But notice what else at the end of that. So that He, Christ, would be the firstborn. Among many brethren. Notice that. What is this saying? It is saying that He rose first and then we'll all rise with Him. He's the firstborn from the dead. We are His brothers and sisters. We will be raised from the dead. And not only that, but we're called brothers and sisters of Christ, which means that we're all a member of a family. There's another image, right? God's household, okay? He talks about the temple. Just think of all the pictures. He said, the church is the temple of God. And the cornerstone is Christ. Because the other stones are stones, just like the cornerstone. In his humanity, so ours will be. He is the firstborn. We will be born as well. All right, back to 1 Corinthians 15. Well, now move on to verse 21. There's a lot, as you can see, in verse 20. Let's move on, though. Again, keeping in mind two things. One He's framing the resurrection of the saints in the most amazing scope, taking in the whole Bible, taking in all of human history, taking in what's going to happen once human history is ended, and then what we look back at God and, and God the Trinity, as a matter of fact. 1 Corinthians 15 21. For since by a man came death, one man brought death to the whole human race, because that one man is Adam, the first Adam. Okay, By a man also, Christ Jesus, in the flesh. We saw that the Bible says that he was fully human. Fully human and undiminished deity in one person forever. By a man, our mediator, Christ Jesus, also came the resurrection of the dead. In other words, the, de- the, the sin of Adam had universal implications for the whole human race. It's called death. It's called death. All of us understand that. All of us have had loved ones who have died. All of us see, we see the the, the anniversary of D-Day, and we see all those crosses in France telling us that death is a reality. We know that. The whole human race, since by a man came death, one man. And then everyone who was, as it were, born, according to Adam, also was born to die. By a man, Christ Jesus our Lord, also came the resurrection of the dead. In the same way that Adam's sin leading to death made the whole human race subject to death, in the same way, Christ being risen from the dead is also, has the implication of all who will be in him, all the saints will also be raised from the dead. It's the the balance there, or it's it's the answer. You have the, the, the downward side of humanity falling under Adam. And then you have the upward call of all who are in Christ to resurrection life. So here we have this camera zooming out from Christ and his church. Now it goes out. Where does it go to next? It takes in the entire history of the human race. Right? Adam is the start. Christ is the finish of all of human history. That's how God sees all of human history. Remember, we saw this in Romans 5 a while ago. We studied Romans. But he sees all of human history in terms of two, what they call federal heads, two leaders, two representatives of two human races, if you put it that way, two kinds of humanity. Adam fell, and all of humanity fell with him, all of creation as well, which we won't be looking at today. And then, it, then Christ comes at the appropriate time, and then he's raised from the dead, and then all who are in him will be raised from the dead. That's God's plan. Now, I hope you can see that when we look at all of human history, it brings out the importance of the resurrection of the saints to that whole history. That's the point. Why? Well, the answer is very simple. Man is God's crowning creation. He created, right, all things. And the first day, the second day, created everything. The stars and the moon and the sun and the earth and everything on the earth and man. Man was his crowning creation. Why? Please turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Why do we know, how do we know that man is God's crowning creation? Genesis 1, 26. Think about this with me. Man is the crown of all of creation. Okay? Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us, the Trinity, make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule. Mankind will let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. What is this saying? Mankind was given dominion over all of creation on the earth. But notice the first part. God said, let us make man who? In our image. In our image. We are created in God's own image in likeness. Yes, we fell. But it didn't change the fact that we were created in God's image and likeness. That is not said about any other created being. No other created is being, as it's said in the Bible, including the angels now, that they were created in the image and likeness of God. So I want you to think about it. God says, I'm going to create. I'm going to create amazing universes. But, at the, but, but the crowning achievement is from my hands, God says, is man. Why? Because he's finally the creation that is made in my image and likeness, God says. When you think about that. Now think about that in terms of human history that we now know. What happened to God's crowning creation? If Sin came in and it fell. It's almost like Michelangelo was looking at David, the statue. And then all of a sudden it crumbles. God's crowning creation became not at all... What he designed it to be. What does that say about the, about the importance of man, which we already know, when they fall? It says that that is, that is not at all what God, God is going to have to do something to fix that. Why? Because he wants his crowning creation to be perfect. And then under that, all of the rest of the creation will then fall in line once again. And then God will be all in all. That's the significance of the resurrection of the saints. It's far more than just us. Remember, always, always, please, when you look at something in the Bible, and you know it has something to do with you and I, and it's wonderful, we've been blessed with every blessing in the spiritual places in Christ, always, though, then move your heart and think about what does this mean to God's plan? What does this mean to the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because one day... Everything will be seen as glorifying the Lord, as glorifying the Father. And we have to see everything about us in those terms. Everything about us is true as Christians because we're in Christ. Shift your focus back to Christ. Shift your focus to the things above, not on the things of this earth. God made us in his image and likeness. This whole view of human history that we get here in verses 21 and 22 starts with the fall of Adam in Genesis and ends with the resurrection of the saints. That's how God sees the human race. Now, as part of that, he sees the two heads, Adam and Christ. But remember, they represent the entire human race, two kinds of humanity. Every member of the human race is subject to death. Every member of of the believing saints is going to be raised from the dead. That's how God views human history. Two men. Adam and Christ. When you see it that way, I hope it kind of takes away all of your focus and concern about you and puts it all on Christ. You see, everything, every blessing that we have is because we're in Christ. Everything, all the evil that has been taken away has been taken away because of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's all about him. Just like the fall is all about Adam he condemned every member of the human race to death on the basis of his sin. Okay. So this view of the human history with Adam and Genesis and the resurrection of the saints, notice what it does, though. It's a big contrast. It's a big opposite, right? First Adam is the opposite of the last Adam. First Adam brings death to the human race. Last Adam brings resurrection life to the saints, the opposite. It's a total contrast between the first Adam and the last Adam, Jesus Christ. Adam and Christ are the two representative heads of two kinds of humanity. Jesus Christ was the first of his kind to be raised from the dead. All believers in Christ will one day be raised from the dead. He is the representative head of the new creation. Jesus Christ, God intervened in history, human history. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. That's all the saints. Fallen humanity is in Adam. Redeemed humanity, the new humanity, the new man is in Christ. I'm repeating. The first Adam's sin brought death to the entire human race. I want you to see the universal scope of his of his sin. The first Adam's sin brought death to the entire human race. And Adam won't die. The last Adam's resurrection brings resurrection life to all the saints. This is a life and death issue. First Adam, death. Last Adam, life. All of mankind fell when Adam fell. Please turn to Romans 5.12. There are tremendous parallels here between 1 Corinthians 15, where we are now, 20 to 28, and Romans chapter 5. We're going to see just a hint of that in terms of Adam and Christ. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Remember, Romans is the foundation book of Paul's epistles. It's the foundation of understanding the grace of God understanding what it meant for Christ to be raised from the dead, right, at Romans. So you're going to see, we see over and over again how when we see something in another book of the New Testament, we can put it right alongside or on top of or with something in the book of Romans, almost no matter what it is. Here we see what, what is said about the human race in relation to Adam. Once again we see it in Romans five verse twelve. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin. So death spread to all men, because all sinned. We all sinned when Adam sinned. Not only that, but we're born sinners. What do sinners do? They sin. So the whole human race are sinners now. What is it? What is the wages of sin? Death, that's what it says. Through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death came on along with it. And Death spread to all men because of all sin. Adam's sin became universal, affected all who came after him. What's the principle? Well, the principle we see in the first Adam is the representative. Adam determines the fate of the group, the whole human race. The representative, remember, there are just two the first Adam and the last Adam determines the fate of the entire group. This was why it was so wrong of anybody to say there's no resurrection of the dead. Because that would mean since the representative determines the fate of the group, Jesus must not have been risen from the dead. We know that's false. So get guess that picture. Just get the picture of two lines of humanity. Okay? Adam's at the head of one. Christ is at the head of the other. All of us started in Adam. And there we would remain, this big long line of the whole human race. But Christ comes on the scene, dies for the sins of the world, is raised from the dead, and you look at the resurrected Christ, and then whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. You move from this line to that line when you believe in Christ. That line is the line of life, eternal life, resurrection. That's the last Adam. So what's true for Adam, the representative determining the fate of the group, is also true for Christ. Christ will bring physical resurrection in resurrection bodies to all who are in Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ here today or hearing us on the internet, then you will have a physical resurrection in a resurrection body because you're in Christ. In Adam by nature, in Christ by faith. In Adam by nature. Our nature is fallen in Christ by believing in the gospel. Let's go just look a few verses ahead to Romans 5.17 where we see the rest of the story. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. That shouldn't be too hard to find, right? You in Romans 5.12? 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Romans 5.17. For if by the transgression of the one, Adam, death reigned. Death reigned. Think of death as reigning over the whole human race. A specter that looks upon the whole human race every day of our lives. Death reigns over the human race without Christ. And isn't that true? Isn't, isn't there such a... Isn't You think of so much of what the world does. It does because of its fear of death. It reigns over them, and it has to, right? Because if everybody's subject to death, that's how this whole thing ends. Then, in a sense, everything else that happens is—it happens. That's fine. That's great. But it's going to end in death. It's not going to end well. Death reigns through Adam. Notice the next two words: what? Much more. Much more. Those believers who receive the abundance of grace. Grace is much more abundant than sin and death even. That's an amazing thing to think about. Grace, the gift. It's all grace. It's all by the gifts of God. The gift of righteousness. See, the gift of righteousness, what does that do to sin? Obliterates it. If you're righteous and all your sins have been forgiven. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness notice will reign in life. I want you to notice who reigns in life. Sin reigns in death, death reigns. Who reigns in life because of grace and righteousness? No. We do. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. That's amazing. This is why, this is the significance of the resurrection of the saints. One day we will reign. Okay, why? Because we'll be, we are and always will be in Christ. We we are in position now higher than the angels and all of creation, the way that man was designed. We reign in life. Yes, Christ reigns over us, but the focus here is on the saints. We reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. God apparently gets so much more out of resurrection than he even did from original creation. God is not going to be outfoxed. Okay? He created man, man fell, being tempted by this by Satan, but God says, "Wait a minute, I'm not going to let you have the last word. Death will not have the last word." I'm going to raise the saints from the dead. And when I raise them, they'll be higher. Not only all of creation on earth, but the angels. And I will grace them out much more than I did even to the human race in the garden. Verse 23. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15.23. 1 Corinthians 15.23. As an animal die, as in Christ all will live. 1 Corinthians 15, 23. But each in his own order. Notice that. There's an order. God is an orderly God. Never forget that. When there is disorder, that is not of God. God is a God of order. When the family is in turmoil, because the children have rebelled against the authority that is set by God in the family, that is not order. That is not of God. If the nation is in rebellion and totally full of disorder, why? Because they've rebelled against legitimate authority. God, the governed, those who are in, placed by God in the government, the authority of the police, the authority of the teachers, and so forth. When there's a rebellion against that, there's total disorder. That is not of God. When there is hatred, when people look at one another according to the color of their skin, there's a breakup, there's a disorder. We're not all one anymore as God created us to be. That disorder is not of God. Okay. Each in his own order. The Greek word for order in verse 23 is tagma. You don't have to know that, but every once in a while, I figured in case you're at a cocktail party and they wanted to know the military term, uh, for soldiers being gathered into groups in the, in the Greek times, there it is. This Greek, the common Greek, was actually put together by Alexander so that he could command the different Greek city-states in one army. And they each had their own order, is what he called it, military term. It referred to the formation of soldiers into detachments. It is not one all mass chaotic. That was the, that was the barbarians, right? but God's design was for there to be order in all things. Okay, this was a military analogy. Okay? Soldiers were put into detachments so they could march in an orderly fashion. But there's an order to the resurrected people. The first order is one man, the resurrected Christ. Notice that. Each in his own order. <coughs> Christ the first fruits, the head. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. Those are the saints. When the saints come marching in, that's behind the Lord. Then comes the end. We'll see what that is. When he hands, when he, Christ, hands over the whole kingdom to God the Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. There's an interval between the orders. Okay? There's a space in time. Why? Because the second order consists of the redeemed saints. That hasn't happened yet. Right? I don't know about you. Does anybody this morning think they have a resurrection body? You all getting better in your bodies? You all? Yeah, all right. No, we don't have one. Not yet. We will. Okay. The redeemed saints are the, are the next second order. Now they have, they come in two phases. All right. Is the, the first one is the church that happens at the rapture. We'll get our resurrection bodies at the rapture. Okay, We'll be, we'll be in line, of literally, going up to be with the Lord forever. The church, the body of Christ. Then the Old Testament saints and the tribulation martyrs. There's a space of time, not much, seven years or so, between the, rev- the rapture of the church and the resurrection of the Old Testament saints and tribulation martyrs, the ones who died Death followed by resurrection. When? At the second coming of Christ. All right. So now I hope you can see that the view is expanding. Well, it's going to expand one more time in verses 24 to 28, because now it is going to encompass God's glorious work, his complete work from the creation to the new heavens and the new earth. Christ, Christ and his church, human history, all the way from God's initial work of creation to his final work of the new heavens and the new earth. What a panorama. What a wide-angle lens it would take. But the word of God takes us there. All right, from the new creation in Genesis 1 to all things once again being subjected to God in Revelation 22. The whole Bible. Now, when you see that word, the end, I want to just tell you briefly that that's the period after the millennial reign. Because the millennial reign is the end of human history, as it were. And it's going to move into eternity with the new heaven and the new earth. Christ abolishes all rule and authority and power, and he hands the kingdom over to God the Father. All the enemies of God and Christ are conquered. All are put in subjection under Christ's feet. Look at verse 25. For he must reign, Christ must reign, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Death will be abolished. How can there be no resurrection of the dead saints if death is abolished? Has to be. Death will be robbed of all its power. Let's get this message out to people. Let them understand what resurrected Christ really means. It means that one day death will be destroyed. Death, death itself, will be robbed of all of its power. Remember, Psalm and Corinth were saying there will be no more resurrection. Paul and God here says there'll be no more death. Quite the opposite. Verse 27. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he that's a quotation from Psalm 8, when he says all things. All things are put in subjection. They don't get the wrong idea here. He, God the Father, is accepted. EXC, not ACC. Not God the Father. God the Father is not put in subjection to Christ. It's going to be the opposite. When all things in the heavens and on earth are subjected to Christ, then the Son himself, what a great picture of authority and order, will also be subjected to the one, God the Father. There's even an order, as it were, in, in the Trinity, especially the Father and the Son, because the Son is incarnate God. Okay, as man, he is in subjection to God the Father. As God, he's a member of the Godhead. All right, The one who subjected all things to Christ, why? So that God may be all in all. That's where the story ends. And that's why there has to be a resurrection of the saints in Christ, we have now come to a place of unbelievable, unspeakable glory, all things subjected to Christ and Christ subjected to God the Father. Christ has first place now in terms of the fruits of the resurrection, the first fruits. one day he will have first place in everything as the man, okay, the God man, the whole universe,'ll have first place, all things in the heavens and on earth, as the God man thrones and dominions and rulers and authority. He is the firstborn from the dead, but he will come to have first place in everything. And when that happens, the son hands that kingdom over to the father. I got it all organized again, father. It's all in subjection to me. Here you go. Okay. Then he said, I will now subject myself to the one God who had subjected all things to him, Christ, the God man. What a picture. What a picture. Not my will, but your will be done. I do all things for the sake of my Father. That's what Jesus said. So it's no surprise that at the end, he will then be subject as the God man to the Father. Well, in these last two weeks, we've traveled from the depths of the horror of thinking there's no resurrection of the saints to the glorious heights of the Godhead when all is restored. Now, if there's no resurrection on the dead, remember, not even Christ has been raised. And we saw that the implications of that were too awful even to take a look at. We have no hope. We're still in our sins. But it's not true. Christ has been raised from the dead. The saints will be resurrected. All of creation will be made new and subject to Christ. Death itself will be destroyed. God will finally, once again, have complete sovereignty and supremacy over the universe. No more rebellion. No more powers arrayed against him. No more. Here's the thing. Here's the problem about no resurrection of the dead. If there weren't a resurrection of the dead, there would be a power out there that remained not in subjection to God. Death would remain unconquered. God wouldn't be all in all if that were the case. Not at all. Therefore, since God is sovereign and all-powerful in eternal life, it is death. That must be destroyed. Therefore, think about this. See, they were just dealing with Greek philosophy and saying, I don't understand those dead bodies. But what they were really saying, what they needed to see as Christians, that if you deny the resurrection of the dead, you're denying that God will reign forever over all things unchallenged. What about us? Let's take a minute to ask a couple of questions here. I want you to think about your own life right now. Do you live according to the fact that death will one day be rendered powerless. Do you live that way? Do you look at death like Paul's going to say, where is your sting? You don't have it. It's gone. Death no longer is master over us. We are no longer to be in fear of death. We are no longer to be slaves of death. When we're in a situation where we're faced with death or think we are, or are afraid of something that could lead, we think, to death, we are not to be afraid of that. We ought to step back and say, Death, you will be conquered. All right. Sin and death no longer get the last word, but do we live that way? Or do we really, if we're honest, live as the rest who have no hope? Are we are you still afraid of death? Therefore, you're living in slavery to fear. No, it's time to live as the one who will reign in life, redeemed, redeemed sons and daughters of the living God. Let's close in prayer and get ready for the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you for the word that paints this amazing picture of how it all will be resolved. All the conflicts and difficulties and sinfulness and death and corruption and hatred and anger and opposition to you will one day all be wiped out. The whole universe will be restored as a new creation to you. Father, in the meantime, we would ask that we would live that way. And perhaps there's no better way of being reminded than by being reminded in the elements of the bread and the wine of the fact that Christ conquered death when he died on the cross and rose again. Help us to keep that in mind as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We ask it all in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, if ushers could now pass out the communion elements. They come like this today. It's kind of a fun, like, a, like you can just pull the, light, the lid off, you know, and see what's inside. You know what's inside. I'm going to give everybody a moment to do that, all right, when you receive, because I don't want us all to be fumbling and spelling. If you're going to do that, do it ahead of time so you can raise your hand and get another one. And then Jack might open it for you. Anyway, the ushers will now pass out the communion elements. And last, just to make sure everybody's got the picture. Oh, see, it's more complicated than I thought. I did it backwards. I'm going to be the one that's going to spill. You watch. Uh-oh, bat phone. Yes. I know. I know, but I should have done that first. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> the phone has to the I know. Like, my problem is I can't bend over to see where the phone goes. Right? There we go. That's not the phone, is it? No. Somebody's phone. All right. This idea looked a lot better in the picture's. I think I got it, though. That's why I wanted to go last. I just broke the host. It's a little early. All right. All right. Back to why we're here. We're going to eat the bread and drink the cup in a few moments. And we're told in 1 Corinthians 11... That we're to remember the Lord Jesus Christ when we do that. We need that. We need to be reminded to remember. remember in the Lord. When we eat the elements, we're proclaiming his death. That's what we do now when we gather together and celebrate the Lord's Supper. We proclaim his death. Christ as the Passover lamb. That first feast. Okay, But we will proclaim his death until... Until what? He comes again. Because when he comes again, he will transform our mortal, corrupt bodies into bodies like his own. And that's, of course, the Feast of first fruits. You see, we have to remember both of that. They're both built into the communion message. Never forget that our citizenship is not here on earth. It's in heaven. Every day we eagerly await the Savior who died for our sins and who was raised from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ, one day, he is going to transform the body we have now of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. Think of it. Think of it. Make it real in your hearts that we are bringing into remembrance his death and proclaiming it, knowing that one day we will have a body that is the same as the glorified body of Jesus. Because he has the power to submit everything to himself. We know that one day, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. The voice of the archangel. The trumpet of God. I want you to picture that. It's going to happen. Maybe sooner than you think. And the dead in Christ will rise first. They will. And then we who are alive and remain, whoever we might be, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. And we will always be with the Lord. That's a promise. That's what we should orient to. Think about. Remember when we remember him. One day we'll be with him forever. And that's to be a comfort for us. We will be Christ that is coming. So remember the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that he gave his body for you and me on the cross. Remember that he died for our sins. To reverse the curse that Adam brought upon the human race. Remember that he shed his blood for us. And when we eat and drink, we proclaim his death until. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this, eat it, in remembrance of me. Remember. Remember. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. A new covenant will be established in the blood of Christ, his death on the cross. Do this as often as you drink the cup in remembrance of me. Let's drink the cup in remembering the Lord. As often as we do this together, as often as we will eat this bread and drink this cup, we look forward to it every month so that we can celebrate together. When we do, we're proclaiming his death. The world needs to know that Christ died for their sins. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you and I proclaim the Lord's death until he comes in the clouds. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you that you have instituted the Lord's Supper, that we, that we honor and, 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 and obey and also understand and bring into remembrance his death and resurrection and, and the fact that he died for all our sins. Father, we also ask today that, that we would understand even more the significance of the gospel for all of humanity. And that would, that would empower us and motivate us to spread the good news, to tell others about who Jesus Christ is, what he did for them, and the simplicity of moving from the line in Adam to the line in Christ. We ask it in his name, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right, next time we get together, it'll be on Skype. It'll be on Thursday at 6.30. Okay? If you need a link, just email Mark. He's probably tired of having me put his email up, but there it is once again. I figure there could be people that haven't had an opportunity to come on the Skype yet, and if you want to do it this week, and you don't have a link, then you can email Mark, and he'll give you one. All right. Just one other reminder, and that is that our privilege as saints here, as we keep our mind on the things above, is to give. Freely as God has given us. And so that's a reminder to us that we, we participate in his grace when he blesses us in his grace. And we have the ability to bless others in the financial realm. One of the things where we can do that very effectively is by supporting the preaching of the gospel and the word of God. So Paul says, I want the benefit that accrues to your account. So as long as we're being responsible with your, with your finances, we hope that you um, would continue to support the preaching of the word of God. You can give us the, uh, your envelopes in the back. There's a box there you can mail. Or you can go on our website where there's a link as well. Lots of links. And never forget the gospel and its simplicity. Talk about bringing it into remembrance and repeating now. There may be somebody here today that's watching us or even here today that's with us that has not yet believed in Christ as, as dying from the, for our sins and rising from the dead. That's the truth. Christ has been raised from the dead. The first human to be raised from the dead, never to die again. That's a fact. that happened. It happened after he died for your sins. All of them. It happened after he was buried and placed in the tomb. That's the good news, that Jesus Christ did die for our sins, and he didn't remain dead, and he was raised from the dead, and he is at the right hand of the Father. And he says to everybody, if you just believe in the good news of my death and resurrection, you'll never perish. You'll have eternal life. Believe in the Lord Jesus. All righty, if you have any questions about today, Because of the whole COVID nineteen and my health situation, I really don't want people coming up close here. And I mean, you know, I don't want to be sitting down. You get it. So I would ask, um, out of respect, if you would just email me a question if you have it. Write it down now, or if you want, and just email me. That's the way we'll correspond for the time being. All right, let's close once again. Father, we thank you for inviting us to your table this morning to bring into remembrance your son through the eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup. We ask now, Father, that we would proclaim his death and his resurrection to all that we come across who are in need of good news, the good news. We ask it in Christ's name. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we bring this prayer. Amen. Okay, you're dismissed now. Keep your eyes on the things above. You know, it's crazy out there. All right.